2: Minimum of four lines for twenty five dollars per line per month without auto pay discount using debit or bank account five dollars more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due thirty five dollars per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.
0: The following program has been pre recorded.
2: What does the future
0: hold for St. Louis and how do we get there? This is nothing impossible on KMOX welcome into the show michael and travis are with you and we're going to introduce you to some of the up-and-coming companies in the st louis area two of the 35 companies that are part of the latest arch grants class two companies that are moving to st louis from elsewhere by the way
1: yeah moving from uh, out of town they're gonna you know technically i guess when they move here and relocate here uh it's a buy local opportunity and so our listeners One of the things I love about bringing these companies to our listeners to learn more about them is then our listeners can become supporters, fans, and advocates for them. So listeners, as you learn about these companies, check out their websites, help them out because they're moving here. They're investing their time. Let's invest in them.
0: And, you know, who knows? uh, We've been spotlighting some St. Louis companies that began as teeny tiny startups, and now they're unicorns ringing the bell on the New York Stock Exchange. Who knows? One of these brand new Arch Grants companies might have that kind of future in store.
1: Speaking of things that are in store for our future, uh, we know that geospatial has been a part of our past, but we're going to get an outside perspective to talk a little bit more about what geospatial means to St. Louis's future.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk with the founder of Project Geospatial. He lives in Northern Virginia, which is one of the hubs, along with Denver and St. Louis, for geospatial technology. And I always like to talk with somebody who's on the outside, who can take that objective look, uh, that ad- objective evaluation, and say, Here's what's happening in St. Louis. Here's where you guys fall in terms of the big uh, cities that are hubs for this kind of location and mapping technology of the future.
1: So uh, what I love about so this show, Michael, we have three outside perspectives that mm. are all bullish on St. Louis. Uh, and two of those perspectives are going to become St. Louisans.
0: They're on their way. They're, they're actually packing or have already moved or, you know, they're, they're all in the 35 companies. They're all in the different process of getting to St. Louis. But many of them are moving here from outside, including one of the companies is from Iowa that we're talking with today. The other one is from New York, and they're coming here.
1: They are coming to St. Louis, and they get to be part of Less Nothing Impossible, and they get to be part of our listeners' lives. So stick around. We're going to jump right into it right after this
0: now back to nothing impossible on the voice of st louis kmox welcome back michael and travis with you geospatial is a huge industry growing for st louis and joining us now is adam simmons who's the founder of project geospatial one of these organizations that can as the glue between academic commercial government partners really focusing on innovation. And Travis, we wanted to uh, touch touch base with Adam uh, just because we've had the GeoInt conference in St. Louis and we've heard so much about it growing here. His organization has worked with platforms like YouTube, Google Play, Twitch, Twitter, LinkedIn. And so he lives in Northern Virginia. We'd like to get this objective point of view on how the St. Louis scene is. So thank you so much for joining us, Adam. Yes, absolutely. Pleasure.
1: Yeah. So, Adam, so, as, as, Michael, uh, wh- as, as Michael said, we have a lot of insider information. You know, folks within St. Louis who are uh, hyping up and talking about geospatial, and rightfully so. It's a growing industry, a thriving industry here. But I'd love, to, I'd love to get your perspective uh, for our listeners about you know the geospatial sector specifically here in St. Louis.
3: Yes. Yeah, so, the geospatial sector is uh, it's 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 not new to St. Louis, but because of the uh, the new the NGA West that's being constructed there, it's got, will call it, uh, new attention in the St. Louis area. Uh, and and that's it's massive. It's bringing in a lot of industry to the local area. Uh, and the fact that the GEOINT Symposium being hosted here for the first time, uh, is it just actually shows how much the industry is refocusing their entire efforts and investing in the St. Louis. So that's, uh, that's, that's a massive deal, not just for, for, for the local area out there, but also for the entire industry, which is a, it's a global industry and with a lot of areas that uh, you can branch out into. So um, I think
0: that's a good starting point. Adam, can you kind of give us the lay of the land when it comes to geospatial mapping location technology hubs in the United States? Obviously, NGA, Western Headquarters, being built in St. Louis. Headquarters is in northern Virginia. And you've got the uh, Colorado is a cluster of many of these companies, too. What, what are some of the cities where it's real hot for geospatial and where does St. Louis fall in that? Well, you can divide that into two different pieces, really. You got your uh, government
3: focused hubs, and you got your more, uh, we'll call it. Open commercial sectors and uh I would say that you're right you hit the you hit the nail right there uh in that washington d c and uh historically the denver Colorado area have been huge uh but St Louis is also a massive uh area that has promoted the industry significantly as well even even if this is the first time a lot of folks have heard about this in the St. Louis area. Once again, it's been, it's been prominent in that area for, for a number of decades. Uh, other areas, other cities where this exists actually is uh, anywhere where technology is a huge boom. We call it Silicon Valley, such as San Francisco. Uh, Seattle is a big hub for it. Uh, London internationally. Uh, you also have areas out in, um, so, so anywhere there's a military base from a government standpoint, uh, the geospatial industry kind of centers centers around. Tampa and Orlando are also big, uh, as well as San Antonio. But once again, commercially, uh, you actually I- anywhere there's uh, a lot of transportation and, uh, you know, hubs where the economy centers around. Um, ironically, you know, there is there is there's, there's pieces of this. There are big cities that aren't prominent in the geospatial industry, or at least not as much on the front end. Uh, for example, New York City is uh, not as well-known as a geospatial hub, um, despite a lot of traffic and interest from the financial sector.
1: And as you're looking across the country, or actually more importantly, not just across the country, but let's look over time, um, how has the consumer technologies like like Google Maps and, and others and autonomous vehicles, how have consumer technologies driven additional innovation in geospatial?
3: So, a uh, couple areas have uh, brought that to the forefront. Uh, your investment into drone technology has been uh, has, has brought the geospatial uh, technology or the industry. Uh, it ha- has significantly accelerated that. For example, you know, drones over the years have you know it has gone, uh, garnered a lot of public attention. But you know, even such and not just drones that fly, but even drones on the ground, such as things like uh, Boston Dynamics drones. We actually saw that in the G. E. O. N. Floor this year uh, with with some of the companies taking advantage of that. Uh, but you also have a significant areas in autonomous vehicles navigation, and and that you know it doesn't actually be a fully automated cars. It could just be just guided navigation uh, that are well um, being integrated into current vehicles even today, uh, even if they're not fully autonomous. They play a significant role of helping guide individuals around the country, even supply chain analysis, keeping track of uh, uh, cargo. And, and especially as we're having a lot of supply chain issues around the world right now, uh, the faster we get updates on Uh, everything and how it moves uh, from one point A to point B is a major financial uh, indicator of of what's going on. So those are two of the biggest areas. Historically, though, you have areas such as agricultural technology uh, that also keep track of things. So the closer and the faster we keep track of the changes in each of the industries through geospatial technology, uh, that, that, that actually helps accelerate where the technology is going and and the focus of it and in, in, in the development. And so it's all coming down to speed and uh, and no, notifying everybody through something called activity based intelligence.
0: So the history of this in St. Louis has been really kind of in the shadows, the defense mapping agency, the building down by the river. And now NGA building this new headquarters says there's going to be unclassified space for the first time. They want to be close to downtown and in the innovation districts for an exchange of ideas and, and technologies. And it's interesting how at the G.O.N. Symposium, you mentioned Supply chain, Um, certainly that impacts the Pentagon, the Department of Defense, the federal government, but all of us are feeling it right now. And I'm curious how you see this opening up of the national security side and how that might impact some of these real-world problems that consumers and private companies and others are feeling right now.
3: Well, so... Uh, over the decades, it's actually fascinating to watch how technology has, uh, as it's grown, the lines have begun to blur. Whether that become as, uh, wh- whether technology has become very government focused, or a military focus, or defense focused and very commercial focused, and so you're actually seeing those lines blur heavily. Where uh, historically, supply chain analysis has been something completely. Separate, uh, and and now everybody's got the uh, these overlapping interests. You have once again the financial sector, the agricultural sector, you know, uh, nav- navigation, automotive, and, and it all is starting to have the same interest as military defense. And with that, and with, with that happening, you actually have these um, these this convergence of of many industries coming together with the geospatial technology being this massive hub for that. Uh, and that's the, one of the most fascinating things about seeing how this industry has grown through the eyes of the g symposium. You, you can actually see it uh, coming together, uh, at, at, such as, such as have we seen it this year. So.
1: Yeah, that's what, that's, I think what amazes me the most, uh, as you said, NGA isn't new to St. Louis. They've had a presence here for decades. Uh, But it just has not crossed over into the consumer side or a a more declassified or unclassified side. Uh, And as this is an opportunity for new companies to start to emerge uh, that will either sell to government through government contracts or even creating technologies that are direct to consumer or consumer based technologies. uh, What is it that the geospatial industry is looking for as it continues to evolve from a talent standpoint, as uh, or you know, even from an investment standpoint, what what are some of the key indicators that geospatial as a sector looks for?
3: Well, software engineers is the uh, probably the biggest one I can tell you right off the top of my head. Um, everybody's looking for software engineers, and and not only that. And, and so, just going down the list, so you got software engineers, you got machine learning experts um, diving into uh, data science is another one. Uh, just folks who understand data analytics is another one, which you might say there's a lot there's a lot of overlap there, but they're also completely separate career fields uh, at the same time. So. Uh what's, what's actually kind of a, a huge challenge is because all these industries are converging and now they're overlapping, there's a lot of competition for this. You know, we, we've already seen, you know, with, with COVID and, and such that um, a lot of companies are having a hard time finding, uh, finding people to work for them. Uh, but now it's even more so, it's kind of compounded the issue that uh, all these industries are converging with overlapping interests that now everybody's trying to compete for the same uh, workforce, So, uh, you know, if you have anything to do with uh, technology whatsoever from from software engineering to uh, computer science, uh, you'll have a leg up right out the door, uh, not just from college, but you can actually find an awesome career just coming right out of high school. I mean, that's where the competition now is just reaching people as early as possible, um, because uh, once they've already reached college, you have companies already trying to poach them right out the door
1: this sounds uh like major league baseball or the nba at this point right looking or major league soccer looking for the earliest talent at the and the maybe the rawest talent that they can uh capture and and start to develop uh and you know bring into the, the club to so to say
3: oh it is it is that is a that is a really good analogy for this and uh and, and, and I actually, especially in the Northern Virginia area, that's exactly how it is. I mean, we're, you know, a lot of companies come to me like, do you know anybody in these positions? I'm like, you know, you, I, I don't, unless you're going to poach somebody who's uh, working for an existing company. I mean, you literally can be making these individuals can be making six figures uh, with almost no experience. And, uh, and and the only way to get somebody from an entry-level position is straight out of school or while they're still in school and then bring them in as an intern and guide them through the process.
1: Well, is, as a sector, is the ge- geospatial sector and industry uh, looking downstream uh, or upstream even more? Are they making investments in... High school STEM programs, junior high, coding boot camps. What what are they doing? What's the, what are they doing as a sector to help develop a, a younger type pipeline? Yeah.
3: Uh, so many companies are taking initiative to do that directly. And, uh, I, I, you know, uh, and as, as well as universities are trying to link up with the geospatial industry as it is. Obviously, you have locally out there, you have SLU, UMSL, and Harris-Stowe, Washington University, uh, to uh, getting involved with the, the, the USJF. To partner with them to help connect their students directly with industry because uh, that's a big deal. I actually had two interns come out to m- with me on the uh, to the GeoN symposium. They were software developers out of the Rochester Institute of Technology, and my goal was to not just you know have have a set of folks helping me out uh, finding finding out what the geospatial industry was doing this year, but it's uh, introducing them to an industry they've never even heard of before. So that's, that's also a challenge is how do you cross-pollinate uh, through, through all these educational institutes who actually have the workforce you need, uh, but they have never had any exposure to the uh, potential of an industry like, like this. And um, exposure is the biggest deal. So uh, companies who bring in new blood... Uh, they, they are, they're working to give them the training as, as much as possible, the exposure as much as possible. I would say the bigger companies, are um, well established to having that kind of training program. Uh, your your Leidos, your Lockheed's, uh, but I do see a lot of newer startups. Um, I actually will give a shout out to Spatial GIS, who's uh, who used to be more of a uh, local Washington D.C. company, and they made big news this last G went Who uh, they, as they 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 made a bigger presence out in St. Louis, and they're trying to foster a culture out there in St. Louis to encourage. Uh, uh, folks down through K through 12 and um, in high school into the geospatial industry as well. So there are companies getting involved with the process um, and, and trying to reach people. And, and uh, what we actually need is more organizations, more, we'll call it uh, more organizations in between your nonprofits, your even government helping foster what those requirements are, because it kind of trickles down. It's not necessarily the the contractors or the uh, the commercial companies who Uh, who have any idea necessarily what their needs are until they get those contractual obligations from the government first. So having the government kind of step in and say, hey, let's work more through 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 the high school process and uh, get more internships uh, to to help teach people what the industry is all about, I think is is one of the major things that uh, uh, one of the major gaps that still needs to be accomplished.
1: Well, just for our listeners, we're speaking with Adam Simmons. He's the founder of Project Geospatial. And Adam, you mentioned uh, programs from D.C. and in the in the Virginia area that are now tri- migrating to St. Louis as a result of uh, the NGA being built. And and talent is, of course, a, an important input to overall success. But other infrastructure, uh, like physically the built environment, is is another piece. And I, I'm reminded that um, that Westway Services Group, uh, a Virginia-based developer that develops Skiff Space, uh, you know, secure and a very secure facility, um, has made it is already has a small presence in St. Louis, has recently announced another 300,000 square feet of this type of space. Talk a little bit about the importance of this ancillary space outside of the walls of the geospatial uh, NGA building, the importance of this other space to really grow an industry in a sector like this.
3: Yeah. So a huge push into the industry right now, uh, especially from government, is this realization that a lot of the work that they need to be done uh, doesn't actually have to take place in a classified space. And this is this is still kind of an emerging concept. They've been talking about this. They've been working towards this in the last couple of years. Uh, but uh, in a, as as they have noted with the construction of the new NGA West, that 20 percent of the uh, space is going to be committed to unclassified work. And this is very, very important. Even even if it's not on campus with NGA, having having spaces that you can actually do development uh, to to get your applications and your software ready, even if it's moving into a Skiff space eventually, is, is very important. You can take advantage of technologies that exist that are rapidly innovating um, before you move it into the classified areas. Uh, that's, that's very important. Because if, if you're trying to get things all within a classified space, There's a lot of other hurdles you have to go through. Sometimes security accreditation. There's, um, there's you have to you, you you have to be already on contract for a lot of situations. And there's, it, it's a it's a long and and it's a very long process. And in finding physical space is even a challenge here in northern Virginia, where there's. Uh, There's 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 many facilities that people can go through, but getting into a facility and getting approved to go into a facility has its own challenges. Uh, So I think you you might open up a can of worms there in terms of what the infrastructure requirements are. But the more work that companies can be done from a innovation and development outside of the space, uh, the the better. And I'm glad government is realizing how much can be actually tossed to the unclassified side um, instead of doing it all in house.
1: Well, before we let you go, Adam, uh, just last question for you. What should, you know, if we think of civic leaders in St. Louis and business leaders in St. Louis and, and elected leaders in St. Louis, what should be a, a strong message related to geospatial growing and thriving? What What is the message out to the local community and what should they be seeing outside the borders and boundaries of St. Louis? Uh,
3: so I think I've, I have two answers for you there. First of all, I, I want to kind of play on the uh, the passion of the city of St. Louis in general. Um, not many cities I've been to, actually, I'd probably say all the cities I've been to in the geospatial industry have never displayed the passion that the St. Louis uh, community actually has. So I, I witnessed that in 2019 at the UN Symposium when you all, uh, when, when St. St. Louis actually had a booth there at the symposium, and you all were not just passionate about your own uh, your own city, but getting involved within the industry. And that actually has, and, and where this where this connects is that has that resonates with a lot of companies. If I if I see the citizens of I see the local communities really excited about. Uh, bringing my industry in the door, um, I I am more opt to move out there and establish a presence out there. And and that's really, really exciting. And there's a lot of companies who love the excitement of the city. So I'd say keep the, keep the excitement up. If you're listening to this, because um, people love that. People love it external to uh, the region and people would love to move to the city of St. Louis, just from that alone. With that said, um, there's, a, we need to start telling the stories of the best practices that exist within the industry so people can understand how this industry is very relatable to them um, all the way from K through 12 all the way up. So whether it be existing in their uh, technology that they use in their cars or at home ordering food or or ordering deliveries to their house. they need to understand how relatable this technology is because it's not a huge barrier to entry to get in the door. Uh, there's so many rooms or so many room for opportunity to get involved and uh, the more people realize that, the more it actually opens the door to saying hey this is this is a massive industry and there's tons of jobs
2: available for them.
1: Well, and for our listeners, if they want to learn more about the industry, I just had a chance to visit uh, ProjectGeospatial.com. We have so much content on there, Adam, that people can digest from videos to podcasts to uh, links to external uh, sources and sites. So it looks like a great uh, repository of a a good primer, uh, both at all levels, uh, across all levels within Geospatial for people to learn more about this ever evolving field. So, Adam, thank you so much for joining us today.
3: Oh, it's my pleasure, and uh, we have much, many more content to come for the symposium and the uh, industry up ahead. So I appreciate your support.
1: All right, that's Adam si- uh, Adam Simmons, uh, the founder of Project Geospatial. You can learn more at projectgeospatial.com. dot com. Stick around; we have more. Nothing impossible. Right after this. St. Louis innovation with Michael and Travis. Nothing impossible on KMOX.
0: Welcome back to Nothing Impossible. Michael and Travis with you. And as we spotlight St. Louis innovation and innovators, we just told you about the latest cohort from Arch Grants. And we're going to spotlight some of those companies that are just part of that new class, Travis.
1: Yeah, we're going to, I'm really excited to talk with uh, Erica Cole. She's the founder of No Limbits back in 2018. And she's joining us right now. Erica, thank you for uh, taking the time.
4: Thank you so much for having me. Excited to talk to you today. So, uh, give us
1: a first a, just an overview what is no limbits.
4: Yeah, so uh, the bee is silent. We're actually no limits. And it is an adaptive clothing line for people who struggle with clothing due to a disability. So we have, um, I'm an amputee myself and kind of started um, altering clothes for myself and my friends in this community. Um, So we have a line of, of clothing for amputees and we're launching sensory friendly and wheelchair friendly collections here in the next few months.
0: Wow. So what's different about the clothing? What's different about the, the jeans? I can see it on the website and the photos, but describe it so our audience can visualize it for themselves.
4: Absolutely. So our pants for amputees, we put hidden zippers in. That just makes it easier to dress and undress while wearing a prosthesis. Um, They're kind of a stretchy material that fits around the extra bulk of the prosthetic socket. And then we reinforced um, some key areas because prosthetics are made from carbon fiber. There are a lot of kind of hard edges that wear through traditional materials really quickly. So we just made it so the pants would stand up to prosthetics also. So we kind of emphasize our, our battle cry is comfort, confidence independence. And so that's um, what we're trying to address with our clothing.
1: Well, we're, you know, our listeners are always interested in the, in an origin story. I think as humans, we're interested in an origin story. Take us back to uh, the the founding of No Limits.
4: Yeah. So I lost my leg in a car accident in 2018. Um, and as I was kind of I was always interested in fashion and I was kind of frustrated because all of a sudden all I could wear was like sweatpants and shorts and I lived in Iowa at the time. (laughs) It's like, well, I can't wear shorts all year long. Um, So I started altering my own clothes and like long story short, I I started altering clothes for other amputees and then I had um, people with a variety of physical challenges reaching out to me like, oh, can can you alter my clothes this way, alter it this way and it turned into me being in a on a sewing machine all day and all night um and then that's when i was like all right there really needs to be kind of a ready-to-wear solution um and decided to make it into a business and it's been going great so far um i'm really fortunate to be able to pursue this as my full-time career
0: and you're from iowa city iowa yes how has it been growing a startup there
4: you know, it's been all right. I'm super grateful for everything that Iowa did for me. Um, and it was time, you know, I, I just moved to St. Louis this week, actually. Um, it was time for me to surround myself with more resources. Um, I just needed to be in a bigger city because it's hard to grow a startup in a bubble. Um, and so it was Kind of a natural transition into to this larger community, and also the St. Louis community is heavily invested in resources for people with disabilities. Um, so it made sense from a lot of just different standpoints, um, and yeah. So now I'm here with Arch Grants, and super excited to keep growing it in St. Louis. Well, how
1: did uh, so? Uh, looking at the website, it looks like you also participated uh, in the Target Incubator, uh, which sounds like a great retail opportunity. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, and how did? And also, as a follow-up, how did you hear about Arch Grants all the way up there in Iowa City?
4: Yeah, so um, Target Incubator was awesome. It's a kind of social impact incubator. They are investing back into companies that have, you know, that triple bottom line of a, a social impact also and there they taught us really how to lay in the supply chain because like i said i was on my sewing machine so they're like okay here's what it takes to take something through the manufacturing process um, so that's how we were really able to scale the company um, into what it is today and what it's going to be um, really looking forward to about six months from now when we launch a couple more products um, and Uh, I heard about grants actually from the Target Incubator. Um, Someone out there reached out to me um, and also through a program called Halcyon in Washington, D.C. And I I just heard about it from so many people. And even a couple of alumni reached out to me that were in my network and they were like, this could be such a great fit for you. Um, It seemed like it was kind of meant to be. So I was... um, super excited to have kind of a soft landing here in St. Louis because I knew I kind of needed um, a larger community anyway. Um, but it's hard to kind of uproot your business and relocate to another place. Um, so this was absolutely a soft landing because I'm already in this community before I even moved here.
0: It was really cool. Well, welcome to St. Louis. And we can't wait to hear what happens with No Limits from here. Can you tell us you know, what, the, what the website is and any other information people should know?
4: Absolutely. So you can find us at no-limits.com. And that's limits with a B. So no-limits.com. Um, and also we'll be on QVC and HSN on October 25th. So if you want to turn on your TV and watch us there, you can learn a little bit more about the company.
1: Well, that's perfect timing for holiday shopping uh, for folks to, uh, you know, stock up. And, and I, I'm excited because now that you are in St. Louis, it is technically buy local so that's, uh, that makes it even better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Erica, thank you so much for joining us. Wish you a lot of success. And uh, if there's anything we could ever do, feel free to reach out again. But excited to see No Limits continue to, well, not have any limits.
4: <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. It's been great talking to
0: you. Erica Cole from No Limits. And stay tuned. We've got more Nothing Impossible. We'll spotlight another Arch Grant firm coming up next on KMOX.
1: St. Louis Innovation with Michael and Travis. Nothing Impossible on KMOX.
0: As we continue our innovation conversation on KMOX, Michael and Travis are with you, and we're continuing to bring you closer to the latest companies coming to St. Louis thanks to Arch Grants.
1: Yeah, now we get to uh, chat a little bit about a company that I'm actually really excited about. I've been digging around on their website quite a bit today. We have Marvin Francois, who is the CEO of OneKin. And uh, before I do a horrible job describing it, uh, Marvin, why don't you tell us a little bit about what OneKin really is?
2: Yeah, sure. Very happy to. So, at a very high level, we are a mission-driven retail tech company. Um, specifically focused on helping small businesses compete in the e commerce landscape. Uh, much of what's driven kind of the work that we've done is we realized that traditional e commerce, which needless to say is kind of predominated by the likes of Amazon, don't really serve small businesses very well. So we're focused on creating kind of a, a, a disruption, if you will, a change to status quo whereby we're going to hypercenter small businesses so they can sell up pretty aggressively and operate sustainably long into the future.
0: What are some of those pain points for small businesses that are trying to sell on these big platforms? What are some of the ways that you help to smooth out those pain points?
2: Yeah, that's a wonderful question. So maybe just to dive into our research just a little bit without getting too far into the, the granularity, we, we discovered through our work that small businesses were leaving upwards of a billion dollars in revenue each year on the table. Um, and that's because they struggle to reach their target audience. A number of them are operating in the e-commerce landscape because they see that as a way of expanding their reach to a much broader audience. But the reality is e-commerce is very noisy, it's very saturated, it's very cluttered, and it makes product differentiation um, quite impossible unless you have a multi-million dollar marketing budget that you can afford to kind of feed the algorithm and get prioritized in search queries or search results, you're not going to get that visibility. So while maybe there's a certain degree of cachet and excitement with being on an Amazon and an Etsy, I, in fact, I had a, had a conversation with a small business the other day about this where, you know, there's, there's a lot of excitement and energy around being able to say I saw an Amazon, but, in all transparency, we were kind of talking to the numbers, and he was like, well, but then it costs me <laughs> anywhere from 80% to 140% of every dollar that I make just to participate when you start to kind of uh, account for all the hidden fees. So ours is quite simple. Um, we create technology solutions. In fact, the one we're building and we're releasing this holiday season is a live stream shopping app. And in simplest terms, kind of imagine a modern-day AI-powered QVC. So what we're doing here is we're amplifying kind of that traditional brick and mortar experience where you can have kind of that intimate, personalized customer service experience, but you're no longer limited to your immediate community or physical reach. You now have this broad audience that can tap into your stream, buy your products across the country. So it's just kind of taking creative technology solutions as a way of disrupting the status quo that doesn't work for small businesses and giving them an opportunity to compete.
1: Well, I'm going to I'm going to share a really bad example just because I've, I learned of it recently and that is uh, this big phenomenon around Lulu row and the multi-level marketing of, of leggings, right? Bad example, but, but bear with me. Uh, A number of those sellers were actually getting more success Selling products during a Facebook live event, you know, a live stream where people are checking in to see the latest and greatest patterns of these leggings. Um, And there is a it seems like there is an appetite for this QVC type of approach where you might trust the brand or trust the curator of these brands and you tune in to see what's being released.
2: You're you're spot on. And the, the reality is COVID in many ways accelerated the inevitable decline of traditional retail, but there were a lot of inefficiencies that, that predate COVID. Um, the, the live stream kind of advent or the acceleration of live stream as a way of getting to customers was really born um, out of a response to small businesses having to close their doors and figuring out a way to bridge that gap. So social media has represented kind of a short-term opportunity for them to entertain and and engage with their audience. There's still some inefficiencies there. We're we're still seeing pretty significant drop-off rates in terms of customers or viewers engaging with your Facebook Live but not actually converting. But... Mm it does do a really good job in bridging that gap in some ways. So what we've done is we've kind of married in some ways to your example, kind of Facebook Live meets Amazon. So you can be entertaining, engaging your audience, you can be answering questions in real time, and the kicker is rather than then directing your customer to, you know, a website, whether it be an Amazon or an Etsy or something independent to then check out and buy your product, which translates to high drop-off rates, you can say in this same app, just click this button and you buy this product. And we anticipate conversion rates going from something around 2% to 20%, which is a massive difference for small businesses.
0: We're talking with Marvin Francois, who's the co-founder and CEO of OneKin, one of the Grants' uh, latest cohort companies. Understand you're in New york now tell us about uh, building a startup there and why arch grants and and how you're packing up and moving to st louis and why that's the best move
2: yeah that's that's a timely question in fact as as i'm um i was in town this week looking for apartments and getting acclimated with the neighborhood. it was actually my, my very first trip to st louis and i have to admit i was i was pleasantly surprised So New York, it's kind of. I I started my career in real estate tech in Boston, and then um, we, you know, the company got acquired, and then I transitioned over to New York. Uh, At the time, I was trying to get into politics, but found myself on Wall Street, Um, and so I was I was there for about a decade. And during that time on Wall Street, came up with a really cool idea and launched my tech startup. So it was really just born out of my being in New York anyway, because I was a banker. Um, but New York also provided kind of a, a good leg up in terms of being in an entrepreneurial ecosystem. The The ArchBrand opportunity came to us as we started to look at different markets that were ripe for disruption, that were small enough but well resourced enough to properly support small businesses, uh, specifically tech-focused small businesses. So in transparency, we were looking at Tulsa um, as an opportunity, and then we were probably maybe a few months into the Tulsa uh, due diligence process when we got introduced to Arch Grants, and then we started doing some homework. It, it, It became very clear to us that this was the right opportunity, and it was in large part because arch grants got it from the very beginning we didn't have to do much selling about the impact that we were going to have we didn't have to do much selling about the significance of the technology how it was going to change the industry they got it from the very beginning and more importantly they They were well positioned to provide us the support that we needed. There are a lot of accelerators and grant programs out there that want to be attached to really cool technology solutions, but don't have the right infrastructure to actually provide the support that's needed. When we started kind of doing diligence around St. Louis and, and Arch grants, it was very clear to us that given their nine year history, given their, their long track record around and, you know, uh, giving grants to small businesses. You know, we, we saw, you know, the 2,000-plus jobs created, you know, the, the $400 million-plus uh, capital raise. It became very clear to us that it was a, a well-held machine that was quite well-positioned to su- support small businesses. St. Louis was an obvious decision for us. We, we were – the primary targets for us in terms of cities – was strong public and private sector support around small businesses, um, a a large and budding entrepreneurial ecosystem, um, and significant diversity. Um, There are some markets that are probably 10 years away from that, St. Louis is already there.
1: Well, that's that's good to hear, and we're glad that you are uh packing up and heading out to St. Louis again we're t- where we've been chatting with uh, Marvin Francois the CEO and co-founder of onekin and if folks want to check it out it is one n e kin dot co onekin.co thanks for joining us Marvin
2: thank you for having me I appreciate it
0: and thank you for joining us for this edition of nothing impossible
1: we'll come back next week maybe we'll talk to more arts
0: grants winners this has been fun download the podcast on the Odyssey app